Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? All right. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew. That's in the New Testament. Bible's kind of divided into these two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of that New Testament. Uh, go to chapter 25, and we're going to jump in there in just a moment. As Pastor Jim mentioned, last week we kicked off a brand new series called This Is What We Do, and the focus is all about this. And so we've identified a few different things that fit into the this, that if you're going to be a part of our body, if you're going to be a part of the kingdom, if you are going to be a Christ follower, there are a few things that are expected of you that this is what we do. And it's um, the idea behind all of this is generosity. And last week, Pastor Jim talked about how we are generous with our time, generous with our time. And so today I'm going to talk about how we are generous with our talent, generous with our talent. So um, I was doing some reading this week and I came across um, this cool story about this guy named George Mallory. Um, chances are many of you may not have ever heard of George Mallory. And in fact, he's not very famous because the thing that he set out to do, nobody knows as to whether or not he actually accomplished it. The idea behind this or, or this, the story behind George Mallory is that he was the first person, he was a British guy, he was the first person to set out to try and conquer Mount Everest. All right, now you and I, we know we give, that, we give that award, the first person to climb it, to Sir Edmund Hillary. He was the first person that we know to confirm to scale Mount Everest. But many people think that maybe George Mallory was actually the first guy, but we never know whether or not he made it to the top. The last time that he was seen was in 1924 on his third expedition. He and his climbing partner were seen for the last time by the group that they were with some 800 vertical feet below the precipice of Mount Everest. Fast forward 75 years to 1999 and George Mallory's body was found preserved in the ice some 2,000 feet below the peak of Mount Everest, and nobody knows what happened. I mean, consider that, that this man, he spent his whole life trying to attain something, and he may have done it, but he doesn't get any credit for it. He may have been the first guy to do it, but nobody knows what happened. So before he set out on these adventures, um, he, he had let some people know that he was going to try and scale the mountain. And somebody asked him, said, why do you feel the need to climb Mount Everest? And he said, it's simple. It's because it's there. Like he had found the thing that he was about and because Mount Everest was there and because it presented a challenge and it was a challenge that no one else had been able to achieve he thought, that's something that I want to do. And he tried it a couple times in the early 1920s and, and failed. And before he went on his third journey, the one that ended up taking his life, he was asked, what's the point in all of this? Like, What is the use of climbing Mount Everest to you? And he responded with this. He said, the first question which you'll ask me is, which I must try to answer is this, what is the use of climbing Mount Everest? And my answer must at once be, it is no use. There's not the slightest prospect of any gain whatsoever. Oh, we may learn a little about the behavior of the human body at high altitudes 
And possibly medical men may turn our observation to some account for the purposes of aviation, but otherwise nothing will come of it. We shall not bring back a single bit of gold or silver, not a gem, not any coal or iron. We shall not find a single foot of earth that can be planted with crops to raise food. It is no use. So if you cannot understand that there is something in man which responds to the challenge of this mountain and goes out to meet it, that the struggle is the struggle of life itself, upward and forever upward, then you won't see why we go. See, what we get from this adventure is just sheer joy. And joy is, after all, the end of life. We do not live to eat and make money. We eat and make money to be able to enjoy life. That is what life means and what life is for. Joy is the end of life. That's why he did it. Because he found joy in trying to climb Mount Everest. But at the end of the day, he said, it doesn't matter. It is of no use. And see, he presented in his story a tension that you and I are faced with every day. He said, I'm doing this because I refuse to just live a life that is focused on working and eating. Instead, I want to work and eat so that I may live. And you and I, we live in this tension on a daily basis. For many of us, we wake up every day and we go to work so that we can eat only to go to sleep and wake up the next day and do it all over again. And we're living to eat and work, and that day after day turns into week after week, into month after month, into year after year, until we get to the point that we're halfway through our life and we turn around and we're like, what is the purpose in all of this? George Mallory, he had found what he believed to be his purpose. He had found his joy in life, but he was able to say, it's of no use. It doesn't matter. What if you and I, though, what if we could find our joy? What if we could find our purpose? And what if we could find it in something that does matter, in something that does make a difference? Wouldn't you want that kind of joy in your life? I know that I would. I want to experience that kind of joy that I'm doing the thing that I was placed here on this earth to do and knowing that the things that I'm doing matter in the world around me. See, finding joy in something that matters is attainable for you and for me. And it all boils down to one word, I think. That word is obedience. See, obedience always brings about joy. Or maybe better said, joy is the byproduct of obedience. Every single time. Joy is always the byproduct of obedience. For example, those of you that are parents, don't you want your kids to obey the things that you tell them? Don't you feel a great sense of joy whenever your child does what they are expected to do? You communicate something to them and they listen. I know that this probably is few and far between that this happens, but isn't there a great sense of joy that 
fills your heart whenever that happens. You tell your child to do something and they say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and they go and do it. And you're like, what in the world? Like, what did we eat today? Because I need to make that happen. Like every, you're fixing chicken nuggets from here on out, you know, because they listened. And we want, we feel good about that. And, and kids, those of you that are here, Whenever you obey your parents and you don't get your butt busted, doesn't that fill you with a great sense of joy? Like, it, it reciprocates. Like, we both get joy out of it because obedience, the byproduct of obedience is always, every single time, it's joy. And Jesus, he liked to tell stories to teach people and, and to disciple people and everything. And in our passage for today, we find Jesus in the 25th chapter of Matthew. He's telling a story that illustrates this principle. So we're gonna talk for the next few minutes about using our talents and being obedient to God because we know that obedience will bring about joy in our lives. And we're looking, taking a look right here at verse 14 and following um, this is, in my Bible, labeled as a story about three servants. Maybe in your Bible, it's labeled as the parable of the talents, or maybe you've heard that before. And the idea behind all of this is you have a master in this story, and he has three servants. And the master is getting ready to go out of town on a long journey, like he's got, you know, like a couple years in Hawaii planned or something. He cashed in his 401k, you know, whatever he's doing, and he's going, and, and he's going to be away for a while. And so he is entrusting his servants with some of his assets in order for them to continue the work that he had begun prior to him leaving. And he calls his servants together, and to one of the servants, he gives five talents of gold, and to another servant, he gives two talents of gold, and to another servant, he gives one talent of gold. And so a lot of you are probably thinking, what in the world is a talent of gold? Well, a talent was a measurement that was used. It was actually a weight that was, was used. And if, if we looked into the conversion rates and, and took an account of inflation and everything today, what we would be talking about is one talent of gold would be equal to approximately $1.25 million. All right, so one guy gets 1.25, another guy gets two and a half, and then, you know, and so on. And so he's not leaving just pocket change to these guys. He's giving them something of great value. But here's the deal. It's not about the money. This story is not about the money. It's about the expectation that the master had for his servants to take action, for them to do something with what he had entrusted them with, the gifts that he had given them. And so we jump in in verse 19. It says, after a long time, the master came home and asked the servants what they did with his money. That was the expectation. I'm giving you this. Now go and do something with it. All right? Verse 20, the servant who was given five bags of gold or five talents brought five more bags to the master and said, Master, you trusted me to care for five bags of gold, so I used your five bags to earn five more. And the master answered, you did well. 
You are a good and loyal servant. Because you were loyal with small things, I will let you care for much greater things. See, the small things that we add, the master then is able to multiply in our lives. And get this, here's where it hits home right here. Because you were loyal with small things, I will let you care for much greater things. Now, come and share my joy with me. Then the servant who had been given two bags of gold came to the master and said, Master, you gave me two bags of gold to care for, so I used your two bags to earn two more. And the master answered, You did well. You are a good and loyal servant because you were loyal with small things. I will let you care for much greater things. Now come and share my joy with me. See, joy is a byproduct of obedience because these servants did the things that the master expected them to do. They received joy as their reward. Not only did he bless them abundantly, but he said, come and share my joy with me. But then the servant that had been given one bag of gold came to the master and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. You harvest things you did not plant. You gather crops where you did not sow any seed. Verse 25, so I was afraid and went and hid your money in the ground. And here is your bag of gold. The master answered, you are a wicked and lazy servant. You say you knew that I harvest things that I did not plant and that I gather crops where I did not sow any seed. So you should have put my gold in the bank. Then when I came back home, I would have received my gold back with interest. So the master told his other servants, he said, take the bag of gold from that servant and give it to the servant who has 10 bags of gold. Those who have much will get more, and they will have much more than they need. But those who do not have much will have everything taken away from them. Then the master said, throw that useless servant outside into the darkness where people will cry and grind their teeth with pain. Now, what's this story about? Well, this story, anytime Jesus tells a parable and he starts it out, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's a story that is about him and us. He is the master. We are the servants. He has entrusted us with gifts and talents and abilities. And the expectation is, is that while we are on this earth, you and I, we utilize those gifts and talents and abilities to make a difference in the world around us, ultimately to serve the master by serving other people. So that's what's going on right here. Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is about me. I'm the master, and I've given you these things so that you can use to make a difference in the world around you. And there's an expectation that we do something with what God has entrusted to us. But that's where the tension comes in because there's things that are at work against that in our lives. There's things that fight against our abilities or our willingness to be able to take the gifts and the talents and the things that God has given us and, and it fights against our ability to then make an investment in the world around us. 
Maybe you don't feel all of these, but chances are at, at some point in the course of your life, you have experienced at least one of these things. I'm talking about things like comparison. I mean, like think about this one guy. He was like, I only got, I only got one bag of gold, but that guy got two, and that guy got five. Like, what's, what's his deal? Like, how did, hey, he's stupid, you know, or whatever. Like, how, but the Bible says that the master gave out the talents based on people's ability, based on their, their, their ability to handle things. And, and that's what happens is we get in our lives and the, the talents and the abilities that, are, that, that we have, we look around at other people and, and, and we start to compare and we say, well, well, that guy has that and that girl has that and I only have this. It's like many of you, like, you know, you're just not as handsome as I am. Like the Lord just saw fit that, that I was the one to be able to bear this cross of looking this good. Some of you couldn't handle it, so he didn't bless you with that. And I know that it's very easy for you to say, well, how come he's so handsome and I'm not? Like, it's my blessing and it's my curse. It is what it is. You know, we just have to work. We have to, we have to play with the hand that we've been dealt. But we compare and we compare and we say, well, because they have more than I have and I didn't get what I wanted, then I'm just going to take my ball and go home. Because I can't dunk a basketball like LeBron James. Well, pff, I'm not even going to try. Because I don't have big muscles like Doug Lane. Well, I'm just never going to go to the gym then. No, that's not what it's about. It's about using what God has given us. And it's not, in the, it's not in the comparison. If you want more, then the scriptures are clear. If you think you should have more, then do something with the little you have, and God will bless you because of it. He will give you more. But you got to start with what you've got. You can't just get upset and compare yourself to other people because you don't have everything that they have. So comparison creeps in. Doubt comes in as well. That person there, they're so much better at it than I am. I don't, I'm just, just not good at it. I'm doubting my own abilities. Like, I wrestle with God every time it's, it comes up that the lot falls on me, you know, for it to be my week to preach. Like, that whole week, I'm like, God, there's so many other people that could get up there and speak so much better and so much more eloquently. And there's like so many better pastors at other churches and so many better preachers and everything. Like, can we not just, let's just play one of their videos instead of me getting up to speak. But see, the thing is, is that that's not what God has called me to do. God's called me to do these things here. And he's given me these gifts and he's saying, yeah, you may not have as much as other people. You may, you may not be as good as someone else, but I'm calling you to step out in faith and use the abilities that I have given you. And as you do that, I'll honor that. But a lot of times doubt, because we can't do it as well as someone else, it, it keeps us from doing anything at all. Or maybe it's worry, like what are other people gonna think? What's my wife gonna think? What are my kids gonna think? What's my family gonna think? What are my friends gonna think? What is that guy that I passed in the grocery store aisle that I don't even know his name, I've never even seen him before, what's that guy gonna think? Like, communicate that logic to me. Like, where in the world does that make sense that we start caring about what other people think and we don't even know who they are? But yet we give, like, we put all the, like, all of our trust in those people 
and give them the opportunity to speak into our life. Who cares what they think? You know who it matters who thinks? It matters what God thinks. That's it. That's it. So we can't worry about what other people think. We need to worry about what God thinks. Convenience is another thing that keeps us from using our gifts and abilities to serve other people. Convenience, ah, it's just too hard. It doesn't fit in with my schedule. Like, God, like, if you really wanted me to do that, then you probably would have made it, like, something that was, like, you know, not when I'm trying to eat or watch TV or play video games or when I'm sleeping or, like, you would have made it, like, it just would have fit in naturally in my rhythm. It's just not convenient for me. So, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Or maybe it's something like priorities. Like for some of us, it's just not important. We have these gifts and these abilities and everything that, that God's given us. And, but like there's so many other things on our plate, so many other things that we have going on. And what we're doing is we're telling God, God, all of these things are more important than you. Getting all of this done and my success and, and my job and, and, and all, like all of these things are so much more important than using the things that you've given me, the gifts that you've given me, the things that you've called me to do. God, you're, you're second or third or fourth or fifth place in my life. Or maybe for some of us, he doesn't even make the top 10. We've got all these other things going on that we're prioritizing instead of the one thing that we should be concerned about. And then for some of us, it's just pure laziness. The truth. Some of y'all are bums. I, I'll just be honest. You're just lazy. Like, God did not call you to eat Doritos and play Xbox and live in your mom's basement for the rest of your life. Like, I, that, that's not scriptural, but I, I'm going to go out on a limb. That's not what he's called you to do. So get up off the couch and do something. And those are the things that we wrestle with all the time. And here's the thing. We all want God to bless us. We all expect God to, to bless us and to, to fill our lives up and, and to give us joy and everything. But why in the world do we think that we can expect a reward or a return on an investment that we haven't even made? Like, consider this. Let's say that there was a farmer and he walked out to an, into a field that he hadn't planted any seed in. And he kicked the ground and he fussed and he cursed and he got all mad and he shook his fist at the heavens because the ground wasn't producing any crop. We would look at that guy and go, get him a straitjacket. He is crazy. But we do it every day. We expect God to bless us and we haven't done anything to, in, to make an investment for us to get a return on. And God say, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. See, if there's no seed, there's no fruit because joy is the byproduct of obedience. And so obedience by its very nature means we have to do something in order to then receive the joy that God has for us. He's given us these gifts and these abilities so that we can serve the world around us to make a difference. Levi Strauss, very famous theologian, as I'm sure you guys are aware. Many of you are probably wearing his britches right now. He said this, he said, one of the secrets of life 
is that all that is really worth doing is what we do for others. See, he discovered it. The only thing that's worth doing is for us to use our gifts and our abilities to serve other people. That's the way that it was designed from the beginning. And when we obey in that way, we get joy in return because joy is the byproduct of obedience. See, here's the deal. God's given you these gifts and he wants you to serve and make an investment because God wants something for you, not something from you. Here's the deal. God's big enough. He doesn't need us. But instead of taking that attitude and just knowing, I'm all powerful. I can do what I want. Instead, he imparted gifts and abilities, all of which are different, all throughout the body. And he expects us to use them because he knows that if we do those things, if we obey, then we will get joy as a return on the investment that we have made. He doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. What if we adopted that attitude? What if we realized like our Everest, which doesn't matter. What if we realized that our Everest, climbing Everest was serving in kids walk or being a part of our guest services team or ministering to our neighbors in our neighborhood? What if we changed our perspective to realize the things that God has called us to do are things that matter, and he's given us these gifts and these skills and abilities so that we can do things that matter, and then we begin to make an investment in the things that matter. Like, what would that look like? What would our lives look like if we decided to choose obedience to the things that God's calling us to do? What if we began to use the gifts that God has entrusted in us to make a difference in the world around us? Like, consider that. Like, what would your marriage look like if you use your gifts and your talents and your abilities to serve your spouse? And like, that brought in like all kinds of joy in your marriage. Like, who wouldn't want that, right? No, we just want to be miserable and yell at each other all the time. Nobody says that. No, we get married because we want to be happy, happily ever after. So what would happen if we begin to serve our spouse using our gifts and our skills and our abilities so that, so that joy could come? And what if, what if we began to use our gifts and our abilities and skills to, to serve our kids? Kids, what if you use your gifts and your skills and your abilities to like take out the trash and clean your room to serve your parents? And that through that obedience, you see how I just slid that in there. Luke, are you listening? See how I just slid that in there? What if we did those things and like our families and our homes were filled full of joy? Who wouldn't want that? We all would. And it's simple because... Joy is a byproduct of obedience. It's simple. We just have to obey. What would your workplace look like? What would the guy in the cubicle next to you that smells like tuna fish, like, you know what I'm talking about. Like, what would it be like if you use your gifts and your skills and abilities to minister to that guy? You know, he doesn't want to do anything on his job until he finds out that there's cake in the break room, and then all of a sudden... He's alive and well and like motivated. What would it look like 
if we use our gifts and skills and abilities to serve the people in our workplace. And when we went to our jobs, we did it 110% because we knew that it would glorify God. What would this church look like if we decided we're going to use the skills and the gifts and the abilities that God has given us to make an investment in something that matters not just here on this earth, but matters for eternity? What would happen? What would happen in this community if the hundred or so people in this room took this to heart and started to live our lives in this way? What would this island look like? What would Nassau County look like? There's a word for what it would be. It's called revival. That's what would happen if you and I would take all of these things to heart. Many of you know that I was a children's pastor prior to coming here um, for, uh, for many years. And at one point, I was honored to serve with one of my best friends at a church in Georgia. Um, he was the pastor, and I was there as the, the children's pastor. And we were going through some transitions in the church, and the church was growing, and we were adding new people to our team. And so we were looking out over the landscape of the congregation, and we were trying to identify people that had certain gifts that could come and, and be a part of the various teams that we had in the church. And there was a, a lady that had been attending the church for several months um, with her family, and, and she, uh, she just hadn't found, found the place to get plugged in yet. And great lady. Um, she and I were good friends, and, and her family and, and my family were, were friends together. And, and so um, we had gotten to know each other a little bit, and it became evident to me that she just loved kids. She just had this gift, like just a bright smile and, and a lot of energy and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of things to bring to the table in regard to children. And so I came to her and I said, hey, what do you think about serving on my kids' team for children's ministry? And she said, I gotta be honest, at our last church, I volunteered in the nursery once a month and I hated it. Like it just wasn't my thing. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not asking you to volunteer in the nursery. She was like, oh, okay. I said, I'm actually asking you to lead our pre-K and kindergarten environment for a 10 o'clock service. And she was like, do what? I was like, yeah, yeah, this is like right in your wheelhouse. Like I want you to lead. And she was like, I've never led anything like that before. I was like, oh, you can do it. You'd be great at it. And so this was an opportunity where um, we had multiple services, and I said, I just want you to do it for this one service, like this environment. You'll just own this one environment for this service at 10 o'clock. And she was like, so what are you thinking, like once a month? And I was like, no, probably not. And she was like, oh, okay. What are you like? So like every, every six weeks, eight weeks or whatever? And I was like, no, I actually want you to do it every single week. And she was like, I'm sorry, speaking to my good ear. I thought you said you want me to serve every single week. And I said, yeah, see, so like what you can do is you can serve one and sit one. Like you can come to, come to church during this service and serve in this environment, leading this environment of kids. And then in the next service, you can just go and, and like attend with your family so that you don't have to miss out on church and you can serve and everything. And she was like, Pastor Blake, I don't, I don't think I can do that. And I was like, oh, I think you can. And I said, here's the deal. I'll, I'll break it down for you. I was like, give me three months. Now, at the end of three months, if you're doing this and you say, nope, this just isn't for me, I, I hate it, it's just not going well, I said, we can cut ties, I'll help you find another place to serve or whatever, we'll move on, it'll be fine. And so she said, okay, like, I can, I can get into that. So 90 days, 
So she started serving and everything, and at the end of 90 days, and we're talking like every week, like this was a radical change. It was a huge ask for her and her family. Radical change in her lifestyle and the investment that she was making in our church. And at the end of the 90 days, I came to her and I was like, so how are you feeling about things? And she said, I gotta be honest, Pastor Blake, serving every week, it's made all the difference. Because where at the last church we were at, when I was serving in the nursery once a month, I was dreading it and I wasn't looking forward to it and I would try to figure out any way possible to not go and fulfill that commitment. She said, now, because I've been in this environment and seen these same kids week after week, and I've used my skills and my gifts and my abilities to serve these kids and, and build these relationships, and I'm doing it on a regular basis. She said, now something's changed in me, and now this is the thing that I look, more, look forward to more than anything. See, she discovered that when we serve God, there's a reward that's involved. And a lot of us, we set out to do that. We set out to serve God so that we can get our reward, so that he will bless us. And then quickly we discover that serving God is the reward. Using the gifts and the skills and the abilities that he's placed inside of us, that's the reward. That's where the joy comes from. It's not about extra money in our pocket or anything like that. It is when I serve God, that's when I feel the most rewarded. Because he's placing his joy in me. And wouldn't it be a shame if God was wanting to do more in and through us, but we were willing to settle for less? And so he was unable to do it. Wouldn't it be a shame if God was wanting to use us for more, but he's unable to because you and I are willing to settle for less? Joy is the byproduct of obedience. If you could use some joy in your life, it's very simple. Obey. Obey. And the thing that God is calling us to obey is to take the skills and the gifts and the abilities that he's placed inside of us and make an investment with those things in the world around us. And then we get to sit back and watch what happens. And as we do that, not only are we gonna be filled with joy, but I believe that when we do those things, I believe that Jesus stands up from his throne in heaven and he steps over to the edge and he looks over and he starts to give us a standing ovation and he calls to some of the angels and everything. He says, hey, go down there and give them more. Go down there and bless them more. Bring increase to their lives. Because as we honor him, he honors us in return. Because joy is the byproduct of obedience. So here's the thing. I'm going to ask you to respond in kind of a unique way today. All right, we're not going to come forward and like pray and cry on the carpet or anything like that. I've got some friends here. Well, three of them are friends. One of them is something totally different. I'll let you guys figure it out. Just kidding. They're coming to um, put something in your hand. It's a piece of paper. You probably saw that you had a pen in your seat today. So this is a small, we'll call it a survey, questionnaire. Not only does God want something for you, not from you, Christ walk wants something for you and not from you. 
We want to figure out ways to infuse your life with joy. And we believe that the number one way to do that is for you to serve other people with your gifts and your talents and your abilities. So this thing that's being placed in your hand is very simple. There's front and back, there's just some statements that are on there. And if you read that statement and you see that it is true about you, check the box. So you're going to fill out your name and your phone number and your email at the top of it. You're just going to check the box next to any and all statements. You can check them all if you want to. You're going to check the box next to any and all statements that are true with you. And here, let me, let me put your mind at ease. You are not signing up for a thing this morning. We are not going to bombard your email with spam or anything like that. We are not going to ring your phone off the hook. This is just the thing. In order for us to help connect you with places to serve that fit your skill set, your abilities, your passions, the things that you're interested in, this is the best way that we can go about it. You're not committing to join any team. This is just you saying, I'm open to God using me here at Christ Walk, and I'd like to have a little joy in my life. So I'm taking a first step, and I'm willing to have a conversation. That's all we're asking for is a conversation about how we can utilize this, the skills and the gifts and the abilities that God has placed inside of you to make a difference in what we're trying to do here at this place. And here's, here's what I'm gonna do, because I don't want you to leave empty-handed. For everybody that fills out one of these cards and puts it in one of the baskets back there on your way out, there's a couple stations back there with baskets. If you fill that out, and you'll put that card in a basket, not only are we gonna give you the opportunity to join one of our serving teams and to have your life filled with joy, but I'm also gonna give everyone that does that 100 grand today. Candy bar. Let's not get crazy. Um, there's, some, there's some gray buckets back there that have 100 grand candy bars in them, so if you fill one of these out, put it in the basket, please feel free to grab a 100 grand candy bar. And remember, Jesus is watching, so if you don't fill it out and you take a candy bar instead, I'll just leave that you know, up to you guys. So take just the next few minutes, and we're gonna prayerfully respond, and I'm believing that God is going to do some incredible things in our life and infuse us with joy, because joy is the byproduct of obedience.